We've been talking about biblical decision-making. How many of you found last week useful? I got some good feedback there, all right, in terms of how to make decisions biblically. Please, if you weren't here, have a look at it. Have a look at the video on our website because it's such a powerful foundational tool as a disciple to understand how to make decisions in a biblical way. People make all sorts of big decisions, but they don't know what they need to go through in order to make those decisions. So please catch up up with regards to that. Now this morning I'm going to be sharing with you on the whole principle of counting the cost. Counting the cost. Lord Jesus, I thank you for revelation this morning. I thank you that it will not be passing on of information. It will be the impartation of revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about counting the cost. Counting the what? Counting the cost. When you come to that place in your life of counting the cost and you yield to Christ, then God can use you for anything. I had such a strong sense that the way God sometimes feels is I want to flow through this individual, but I cannot because I don't feel I have all of him or all of her. How many of you know that the person who's the yielded person, it's very easy for them to make decisions. When your life is completely yielded to the Lord Jesus with reckless abandonment, it's easy for the Lord to say, I want you to go to China. And you go to China. The decision to go to China doesn't become overly tricky. Why? Because Jesus has all of you. Amen? And that's my question to you this morning. Does Jesus have all of you? Just think about that. One of the primary reasons many are not fully used by God is they have limited him by not counting the cost and completely yielding to him. Many people leave their posts because they were unwilling to pay the price. How many of you know that there's no price too high to live a fulfilled life in the center of God's will for your life. There's no price that's too high. For Jesus, what was the price he had to pay? His life. And my question to you is, are you willing to pay the price? I've been listening to great men of God preach, and the one thing that I'm seeing as a common denominator is that they paid the price. Amen? They were willing to pay the price. Some of you, if you're honest with yourselves in your life, you're not willing to, to pay the price of lifestyle. You're not willing to adjust your lifestyle in order to be used fully by God. How many of you know that there's a price to pay if you believe that you're called to be a prophet? There's a price to pay if you believe you're called to be a teacher of the word. You cannot read the Bible like the average Christian does if you're called to be a teacher of the word. Amen? If you're called to be an apostle and to go around planting churches, how many of you know that sometimes you have to move locations? I mean, you know that we were comfortable living in four ways. We were happy living in four ways. We had lots of influence in Johannesburg. If we had started a church in Johannesburg, it would have exploded. But the Lord spoke to us and we knew we needed to move to Centurion. How many of you know that that's a price to pay when you have to move your children from schools that you're happy with, Christian schools, and you have to find other schools? When for the first few weeks, you're literally driving early hours of the morning, taking a child to school here 
Roman centurion, yet you still live in Joburg. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's a price to pay. And you see what happens is lots of Christians, they make decisions prematurely before counting the cost. Those of you who feel called to be a pastor, how many of you know that there's a price to pay? You see, any Tom, Dick and Simpiwe can raise their kids however they want. And if their kids do bad things, it's not a major embarrassment. Let's be honest. But how many of you know that if you're a pastor, let alone a senior pastor of a church, there's that pressure that your kids have to be perfect. That you and your wife have to be perfect. How many of you know, those of you who want to establish churches and establish ministries, that people are watching you? It's like, it's like the fishbowl syndrome, I'll call it. Who's been to Ushaka? Ushaka Marine World. How many of you sometimes feel like your life is being watched? How many of you know that if I do a couple's breakfast, the week leading up to the couple's breakfast, I'm thinking to myself, I need to qualify to be speaking on some of these things. There's a price to be paid. And my question to you is, are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing to pay the price. There is no price too high for the fullness of God's purpose to be manifest in your life. So what are we talking about this morning? We're talking about the cost of being a disciple and we're also talking about specifically the cost of specific decisions that you have to make. And are you willing to count the cost before you step out and do it? Turn with me in your Bibles or just look on the screen. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 34. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 34. A large crowd was following Jesus. A large crowd was following Jesus. That speaks to me of popularity. That he was a popular figure. I mean, if, you know, if a large crowd is following you, this is the equivalent of maybe he had one million Twitter followers. If he was on Twitter. Amen? A large crowd was following Jesus. Did Jesus sit back and just say, hey, this is cool, man. Look at the crowds. Guys, disciples, can you count, please? Can we do a head count? It says, it says this, he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. In other words, he made it difficult for the crowds to follow him. He wanted to know where is your heart at. Now for us, we tend to try to make the gospel easier so that the crowds can be bigger. Amen. Stay with me here. These are the words of Jesus. He says, if you want to be my disciple, how many of you see yourself as a disciple of Jesus? Okay, so this is a message for you. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. In other words, your love for me must be so distinct that compared to me, it seems like you hate everyone else. My question to you this morning is, in your walk with the Lord Jesus, does he have a photo finish, close second or close first, or is he way ahead of everyone else? Just think about it. Do you ever have it? You remember, remember Usain Bolt back in 2009? How would he win? When he, when he broke the record, when he did the 9.58, it seems like the guy is clowning around, looking around and so on, and is way ahead of everyone else. But as the years went by, what happened? It's kind of like, 
Was it Gatlin? Was it Bolt? Let's see. And even them, they're looking, trying to see who was first, who was second. Amen? For some of you in your lives, if someone were to come and observe your life, will they look and say, is Jesus first? Is he, is he a close second? Is it a photo finish in comparison with other things or other people? Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, it cannot be a photo finish situation. Amen. It must be a clear goal. Let me use soccer analogy. I know there's soccer players and people who are happy that their team is continuously winning 5-0 and so on. Okay, let me use a soccer analogy, right? Would we need, if we want to know, has the ball gone over the line? Is it a goal? Will we need to look at those things that they use nowadays, right? What is it called? That photographic thing they use? And then they show us the picture afterwards. And then the referee gets, you know, some signal, something vibrates and it's like, oh, it was actually a goal. Or is it a clear goal? Amen? He says, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. So he's covering everyone, guys. Everyone here in the Greek, it means everyone, right? Then he says, yes, even your own life. My question to you this morning, what does it look like loving your life more than Jesus? Just think about it. This is fundamental discipleship. And when you answer these questions, you will be able to make decisions for God easily. Then he says, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. So it's not a case of, I ah, know you actually are my disciple. It's just that you're a worldly one. You're the worldly version. No, Jesus is saying the definition of a disciple is someone who loves me so much that in comparison to how he loves me, it's as if he hates the other people. Is everyone following? We're just going back to Bible. Is that okay? Right. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building? We have people in construction here. How many of you are in construction? Okay. Do We've got people in construction here, haven't we? Yeah. Thank you, Joan. Right. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Jesus is interested not just in how you start something, but how you finish it. Some of you have had wobblies along the way in your walk with the Lord. Jesus is interested in how you're going to finish. Some of you have made mistakes along the way, and the enemy's strategy is to condemn you. Jesus is interested in how you're going to finish. I want to encourage you to finish strong. Then he says, otherwise you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. For some of you in your marriages, you've completed only the foundation. And at some point you feel like we've run out of stuff in this marriage. Count the cost. Count the cost. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, 
There's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. There's the person who started that small group and couldn't afford to finish it. There's the person who started that church and couldn't afford to finish it. There's the person who started that marriage and couldn't afford to finish it. There's the person who started that business and couldn't afford to finish it. There's the person who had all those children and couldn't keep fathering or mothering them as time went by. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Now watch this. All along he's been talking about people, hasn't he? He's been saying, the way you love me in comparison to your mother, it must look like you hate her. Comparison to your wife, in comparison to your father, comparison to your children. But look how he ends. He says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. You cannot serve both God and mammon. One of the chief reasons why people struggle with decision-making today is they're bound by the spirit of mammon. Mammon is that demonic spirit that controls the use of money. It controls greed, it controls materialism, it controls how people spend money. And one of the quickest ways, and I'll teach on this in the next couple of weeks, of breaking the spirit of mammon over your life is learning to be generous and learning to give. Amen? But Jesus here is saying, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Now, sometimes we look at these scriptures and we say, I know, yeah, this, that was in those days, but Jesus understands my situation right now. I've got a friend, an old friend of mine who's a pastor, and you know one of the principles he lived by, him and his wife? He's a well-known person. He lived by this principle that if ever we became too attached to material things in our house, we would just give it away. Because it means that things have us instead of us having those things. Amen? If you want to make sure that mammon is not controlling you, make sure you hold things like this. Each year, as the year starts, ask yourself, what is it that God is calling us to just give away? And don't just give away the things you don't like. Amen? How many of you have ever given away something that's quite precious and then your children say to you, but mom, it's nice. Or your spouse says that to you, but you always have liked that. How many of you have experienced that or you don't want to expose your loved ones? Okay, I'm seeing hands go up. Someone was like, <laughs> all right. And then you have to explain to them, yes, that's why I'm giving it away because I like it. Because it's precious to me. Amen. Are we in agreement on this foundation that this is what discipleship looks like? Discipleship 101. Are we in agreement? All right. So now, what are the consequences of not counting the cost? What are the consequences of going ahead and starting a building project but not having enough money to finish it? What are the consequences of saying, yes, I want to be a Christian, but not having counted the cost of true biblical Christianity. Yes, I want to be a pastor. I want to be pastoral. 
I want to preach every Sunday, but not having counted the cost. What is it? Number one, we won't finish strong. We won't finish strong. Those who are following Jesus simply for what they can get won't stick around when the going gets tough. If your mindset is the mindset of many believers on the African continent, where they go from church to church because of need, that's what the gospel is like in, in Africa, isn't it? Then the moment I have my breakthrough, let me go and look for the next prophet so that he can prophesy over me. Prophesy to me. Right? And then when that one is, is, is losing power, let me go to the next one. Amen? That's what the gospel has been like on the African continent. Those who are following Jesus simply for what they can get won't stick around when the going gets tough. Jesus says, when persecution comes, he didn't say if persecution comes. Amen? If you're not being persecuted right now, let me just say, let me just say this. If you're not being persecuted right now for your faith in Jesus Christ, it means you're not radical enough. Simple as that. If you're going through life and you're so popular, everyone likes you and no one ever challenges you or mocks you, it means you're not radical enough. It means you're probably lukewarm. Because Jesus said, if they did it to your master, they will do it to you. Amen? If, he said, if they did it to me, if you're truly like Christ, they will do it to you. But if you're the kind of Christian who's just floating around, who is lukewarm and is following Jesus for what he can give you, you will not stick around when you're pers persecuted. Amen. The second consequence of not counting the cost, number two, is this. We will be offended. We will be offended. Because you see, if I haven't thought through it and said to myself, oh, being a pastor, these are the difficulties, these are the challenges. When those challenges come, I will think to myself, what happened, God? You've abandoned me. You've forsaken me. And ladies and gentlemen, I see this happening with lots of pastors. I see this happening with lots of pastors. There's a particular evangelist, and he was also a farmer. But he didn't sow his seed at the right time. He didn't finish sowing his seed properly. And so he goes off and he preaches the gospel. And people get saved. And he comes back and when it was harvest time, he saw that he didn't get his complete harvest. And he was offended with God. I don't know if it's just an illustration or a true story, but he was offended with God. And he was like, Lord, you should have given me a supernatural harvest. <laughs> because I've been doing your work. Are you following me this morning? If your expectation is that the Christian life, you will never be in lack. Because that's what some people teach. When I look at Paul's writing, Paul the Apostle, he says, I've learned to be content when I've got a lot and when I've got a little bit. Those of you who are called to entrepreneurship, to be a kingdom financier, you will go through a season in your life where God teaches you to trust in him. Not in your previous boss. Not in all your suppliers. Amen. There will be that time where you are saying, God, you need to come through. God, I've got kids in private schools. God, I've got cars I'm paying off. God, I've got this. God, I've got the houses I'm paying off. 
God, you're going to have to come through. And you know what's great about God? He always comes through because he's covenantal. Amen? But if your mindset is everything will be rosy, you'll be offended with God. And you would have just revealed your immaturity. Number three. I said, I said we will be offended. Did I say that? I said we will be offended. Let me just say this. When God's way conflicts with our way, we will feel betrayed by the shallow me first faith we have bought into. So the first thing is, we won't finish strong. The second thing is, we will feel offended. When God's way conflicts with our way, we will feel betrayed by the shallow me first faith that we've bought into. Many people have got a me first faith. Number three, in our pain we will seek counterfeit pleasures. How many of you know that pain seeks pleasure? So when you're feeling like, God, this is painful. God, you haven't come through for me. You will seek counterfeit pleasures. That's actually one of the reasons why some pastors fall into sin. Because you, you, they get offended, especially if they're financially dependent on a church for their personal finances. Then they get offended. They're like, the people don't give, the people don't give. So if they don't give, why should I give? Why should I give you, Lord? Why should I be faithful to you, God? And the pain they're experiencing makes them seek pleasure. Amen? And we see this happening a lot. If we have not counted the cost of being God's child, we'll turn away at the threat of sacrifice and find something else to gratify our selfish desires. That's what will happen. Number four, we will not be prepared. We will not be prepared. You see, to go where God has called you, you need to be prepared. You can't just wing it. You can wing it and just remain average. But to go to greatness in the call of God, the Bible tells us, study and show yourself to be a workman approved. You know... Again, those of you who are soccer lovers, I don't know why I'm talking about soccer so much. Please forgive me. Look at someone like Cristiano Ronaldo. We all know Ronaldo, right? Right? Look at his trajectory. Do you remember the days when Cristiano Ronaldo was in Man United? He was kind of like the same level, right, as all those other guys. Rooney, Berbatov, you know. He, was, he probably wasn't as good as people like Scholes. He was kind of like there. He was a, great, a good player, but he wasn't yet great. Do you remember that? And we could see his potential. And isn't it interesting what's happened in the last six years or so? What's happened to Ronaldo's trajectory in terms of as, as a player? The other guys remained like this. Some of them grew worse. We know about that, right? Some of them have gone backwards. We watch their old videos, some of them like, oh, look at all the goals he scored. And people like, he was a true legend, he was a true legend. I'm not mentioning names, right? But some people went backwards. But what happened to Ronaldo, his trajectory? It went up. And one of the key questions has been, why? Why is it that you can have two people, three people, four people, five people who are naturally talented at the same level, but the rest remain quite good players and the other one goes from good to great? And I'll tell you what it is, and I've seen it with lots of people. 
Some people think they can wing it. Some people think they can what? They think they can win, wing it. But other people recognize that they're naturally talented, but they have to be prepared. I prepared this sermon. I'm not winging it. Amen? And I know, I know where I'll be in five years' time. I look at material. I've been preaching since I was 12. But I still get books that talk about how to be an effective TED talker. How to do this. How to talk clearly. How to communicate. Because I don't want to rely on just winging it. I want to go from good to great. Amen? That's counting the cost. That's counting the cost. And they say that about Ronaldo. That he continuously worked on his craft and he got feedback, got feedback, got feedback. And at a certain point, we just saw his trajectory go to another level. My question to you is, are you counting the cost when it comes to preparation? You see, if you're not counting the cost, what happens is you'll just wing it. And then later on, you now have to deal with bigger demons. Because the higher the level, the higher the devils, or demons rather. And what happens at that level? You have to be prepared. You have to be prepared. Number five, we'll become discouraged. How many of you have found yourselves in a place in your life where you're discouraged? But the reason you're discouraged is you didn't count the cost. Number six, we'll become disillusioned and cynical. How many of you have come to a place, and it happens with many of us, where you've become cynical about the call of God on your life? Where you're like, maybe I was just believing my own press. Maybe I was conning myself. Maybe these people are just being nice to me. That's why they were saying all these things. Maybe the pastor was just doing his pastoral job when he encouraged me. It probably wasn't a real prophetic word that he gave me. You've become cynical concerning what God has called you to. Why? Because you received the word some time back, but you didn't see the results because you hadn't counted the cost. And so when you started seeing the opposition, you became cynical. God, how can this be you? Please say to the person next to you, sometimes life is difficult. Number seven, we will become envious. We'll become envious. If you don't count the cost, you become envious because you're always looking and you're saying, why am I still here? I thought I would be there. And why have they seemingly overtaken me? So you become envious of other people because you hadn't thought through the sacrifice it takes to go from where you are to your next level. Amen. How many entrepreneurs are here? How many of you know that? Okay, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see hands everywhere, right? How many of you know that one of the aptitudes of great entrepreneurs is determination? You know the ones who become great? They're the ones who get up after falling down. Because usually it doesn't work out first time round. How many of you have started a business and immediately you just hit the ground running and it worked out first time round? You see, if you haven't counted the cost, you go into your new business just thinking, well, this is how it works. And sometimes I hear people talking and I'll be just thinking, okay, welcome to this journey, right? <laughs> 
and I'll be hoping that you won't get disillusioned. I'll be hoping that you'll take feedback so when you're trying to sell things and people don't want to buy from you, don't get disillusioned and think like, there must be something wrong with my products. I'm terrible. I'm not a good salesperson. That's what I hear people saying. No, rise up and use the feedback to your advantage and say, well, what can I tweak? What can I do differently? Do I need to change something in my attitude? Is this thing spiritual? Whose counsel can I seek? We spoke about that last week. And it's those people who go to their next level. You see the people with attitude. They're part of a soccer club. And the moment the, the coach is harsh with them, what happens? They crumble and they can't play. Then there are others who say, I value his feedback. And they become a better player. Amen? Some of you, even in church situations, you struggle with that. You struggle with feedback. We're trying to help you go from good to great. But then you're like, mm, these people, what do they know? And because of your pride, you bail. Amen? So we become envious of those who seem to have it all. But we know that the scripture tells us, don't judge a matter before it's time. Amen. So those are some of the consequences of not counting the cost. Secondly, I want to share with you, what are some key questions to ask when you're counting the cost? So when you've got a decision to make and you're counting the cost, what are some key questions that you need to ask? You need to explore the opportunity cost. You need to explore the opportunity cost of doing the particular thing. So it's not just the cost, but it's also the benefit. Amen? What will I lose? What will I lose? If I move to such and such a town, what will I lose? What will I gain? Who will benefit? What preparation is required? If I decide to start writing books, what preparation is required? Who will benefit? Can you see you can apply these questions to all of life? How much persecution will this mean for me? Think about it. How much persecution will this mean for me? How will this decision affect my relationship with God? How does it affect significant relationships in my life? How will it impact the call of God on my life? You see, a lot of times people make a decision, but it impacts the call of God on your life. So why would God call you to do something that is negatively impacting what he's called you to do overall in life? How does it affect significant relationships in my life? That's very important, isn't it? Oh yeah, pastor, we want to do this and this and this. Then I've got this new job. How does it affect your marriage? Yeah, you can just look straight at this point. Okay. How will it derail me from the call of God on my life? How is it worship unto God? The decision that you're making, ask yourself, how is this worship unto God? What will the people I love gain? And what will they lose? Let's say you start a new hobby. That's fine. But the people who you say you love, what will they gain? Or what will they lose? Just think about it. That's opportunity cost, isn't it? Okay. And can I throw this one in? What will the church gain? And what will it lose? A lot of times people make decisions 
that can actually hurt the local church. But it's almost like the local church isn't a factor in their decision-making process. Do you know that I know certain churches, when they were established, people actually said, we're going to find jobs in that town so that we can be part of that local church and be involved. Isn't that powerful? Yet today, very often, everything revolves around the job. It's the other way around, isn't it? Oh yeah, because our job, yeah, because my job, yeah, because my boss, and then because my boss. Why can't you say, I want to believe God for a job that is close to my local church because my involvement in my local church is important? Why not? I'm not saying it's a sin to make a decision or, you know, where you live based on your job. Please don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, let's think possibility. Amen? Why is it that the local church always comes last in a lot of things? Financially, people give their, their loose change to the church. Decision-making, how the church will survive. Just think about that. I know people who literally will move somewhere when they want to be part of a local assembly. And they will live there because that's important for them. Amen. Okay. So I have to ask myself when I do the books that I'm doing, I have to say, what will I lose in the process? Okay, some cash because there's a cost to it. What will the world gain though? Is it worth it? Okay. What will my family lose? Oh, they might have me during holiday time editing something. You know, and my wife has to say to me, my love, I hope you're not going to spend the whole holiday, the whole of our time out here uh, editing. What will my family lose? Is it worth it? See, be honest about the opportunity cost of doing a particular thing. That's how you make wise decisions. Amen? What's the opportunity cost? What's the gain? What's the loss? And is it worth it? Now the sad thing is a lot of people make decisions like this using these techniques when it comes to a business decision. But when it comes to everyday life, they don't think through that. And yet it's biblical where Jesus gives us these tools. Amen. Think about schooling options for your children. What's the cost? Are you willing to drive all that way to drop off your child every single day for their schooling just because it's the school that you think is perfect? Is that the best use of your time? You might say, yes, it is because of the education my child is going to get. But what else are you going to lose in the process? Think about that. How much delayed gratification am I willing to experience? How long can I wait for the breakthrough? Then Jesus, speaking of Jesus, the Bible says, for the joy set before him. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what was the mindset of Jesus? You know what? Let me go through with this because I'm going to get many people into my kingdom as a result. Are you following how much delayed gratification are you willing to experience? You want to start that business? Are you willing to cut back on some of your family expenses right now in order to get that business going? For the joy set before you. Oh, you want to end up doing these marathons and so on? How much pain are you willing to go through to get to a place where you can run 42Ks? 
Are you willing to go through the pain? Some are willing, others are not. I've seen what it's like during the holidays when my wife knows that she's got a race coming up. It doesn't matter what the weather is like. It's not always easy for her, but she'll be there saying, you know what, my love, I need to go for my ride, right? Now, my love, according to my schedule, I've got to do a slow 21K run. And she does it for the joy set before her. She's thinking of the time she wants to get on the next race. My love, you know what? I have to do however many hundred meter swimming things she has to do, right? I have to do it. The family will be there relaxed, ooh, having fun and so on. But for the joy set before her, she knows. That's the price she has to pay if she wants to get a good time in her next race. Amen? How many of you are wired like that? How many of you can think of situations in your life where you can identify with that sense of, I'm doing this because of the joy set before me? Why am I writing so many books right now? Are they bestsellers right now? No, they're not. Am I making lots of money from them? No, I'm not. It's costing me a lot. But I believe, in fact, I know that at a certain point, the whole world will be reading my stuff because I know it's good. Amen? Amen? I know that I have a message for the world. So I would rather pay the price now. And one day, I'll be called for speaking engagements and various things because people have finally read some of my material. But I'm paying the price now. Amen? Amen. So how do you develop the mindset for counting the cost? How do you develop that mindset that says, I'm going to count the cost before stepping out? I want to give you some principles, and then we'll close. Number one, meditate on the consequences of not counting the cost. Think about the consequences of not counting the cost. Proverbs 27 verse 12 says, A prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceed and pay the penalty. So there's a penalty associated with not counting the cost. Think about what that penalty is. Amen? A prudent man, what does he do? He sees evil and hides himself. The naive, some translations say the simple, proceed and pay the penalty. Number two, rebuke those who try to derail you from carrying your cross. How many of you know that you can have friends who come to you and say, ah, that's too tough for you. That's too, 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 too tough. No, 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 it can't be. It can't be God because that's going to be tough. Rebuke them. Amen? Rebuke them and say, you know what, I'm going to count the cost and I'm going to go ahead with it, but I know it's not, it's not going to be rosy. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 to 25, it says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So he's talking about what he's going to suffer, right? How many of you sometimes have done that? Have you done that with your wife, with your children? When you tell them, this is going to be a tough season, guys. Now look what Peter does. It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
Peter was a strong personality. How many of you have had people who are strong personalities rebuking you? Saying, what? Working there? What are the working hours? That's going to be tough. How much are they going to pay you? But you know you need to do that to go from good to great because of the experience that you'll get. And you've got these people around you rebuking you saying, it's going to be too tough. It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Imagine being there when it's all happening. Seems like it was quite heated, hey? I mean, Jesus is priming the guys. So guys, this is what's going to have to happen. This is what's going to take place. And it's even according to prophecy. And Peter is still there, so strong-minded. And he's like, never. Aibo. Noit. It's not going to happen. Okay? And then Jesus now responds to that. It's not like he crumbles. So Jesus was quite assertive. It's like, uh-uh. And he speaks his mind too. And what does he say? Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Sometimes we think that when the devil is tempting us, it's always, oh, go and do this. Oh, go and do that. But sometimes the way the devil tempts you is someone who's basically saying, I think that's going to be quite tough, Abra. I don't think that's God. That doesn't sound like God, Abra. Right? And that's actually the devil. And there are times when you should actually turn around like Jesus did and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Some of you like that because there's an excuse, there's pastoral endorsement to be able to say that to people you don't like. Don't go to your husband now and every single thing they say, get thee behind me, Satan. You want to go and get that new blouse or those new shoes and your husband says, are you sure we can do this? Get thee behind me, Satan! <laughs> okay? No. So, in context, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. What's a stumbling block to you? You do not have, I love this, you do not have in mind the concerns of God. There's certain friends that you have that don't have in mind the concerns of God. Those are the ones you should be rebuking and saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, Jesus is awesome, isn't he? Because soon after this, he says, hey, Peter, this revelation, you know, flesh and blood has not revealed it to you. And on this rock, I will build my church. So don't worry. Jesus also said nice things to Peter. Amen. Okay. But I find it interesting that he basically recognizes that the devil doesn't have concerns of God. But merely human concerns. What do human concerns look like in your life? Because when you can distinguish between God's concerns and human concerns, you're able to make sound decisions. Amen? Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. I don't know about you, but I want to find my life. I want to walk in the higher life that God has got for me. But in order to get there, I have to lose my life. Amen? 
And isn't it interesting that Peter is talking about what's going to happen to Jesus and basically says, never, we won't let this happen to you. But when Jesus responds, he talks about them carrying their cross. Could it be that Peter's deeper concern wasn't just what was going to happen to Jesus? That Peter was like, if this happens to you and we're associated with you, we're in trouble. You see, Jesus could see people's hearts. And so Jesus doesn't say, hey guys, I need to carry my cross. Don't you understand? He addresses them. And he says, if you want to follow me, you must carry your cross. You see, sometimes people come to you and they say, hey, don't do that, hey, don't do that. But they're really concerned about themselves. How many of you have been in a situation where you say to your spouse, you know what, I think we need to cut back a bit and I think we need to maybe move into a smaller house or move into such and such a situation because we want to do this. And they might say to you, it hasn't happened with me, but they might say, that's not God. We don't want you to suffer like that. You work so hard. No. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, their concern is themselves. I think that was the issue here with Peter. I'm not too sure if his primary concern was just Jesus. Because Jesus didn't address himself. Jesus addressed Peter and the guys. He says, you guys need to carry your cross. Amen. I think this is such a powerful scripture because it shows how Satan tempts the people of God. Sometimes it's through the value system of the people around you. So how do you develop a mindset for counting the cost? The first thing is meditate on the consequences of not counting the cost. And the second thing is rebuke those who try to derail you from carrying your cross. Do you know what your cross is? And are you rebuking those who are derailing you from that? Maybe there's a high calling on your life and you're living just an average life. Maybe you want to step out and you pray more. But you have people around you who are saying, hey, you know what, take it easy, pace yourself on this, ne? But you know the price you have to pay for what God has called you to. Maybe you want to give more, but you have people around you saying, hey, just be careful, hey, when you give to some of these people, they take advantage, eh? And these pastors, you never know. You don't know what they use the money for. Do you really know? <laughs> That's foolishness. Amen? Complete foolishness. Number three, meditate on the long-term benefits of the decision. When you're making a decision, don't just think short-term, what are the benefits? Think long-term benefits. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 26, it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So it's a daily thing. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever does what? Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Long-term benefits of losing your life, you will save it. People want the power of God to flow through them so powerfully, but they don't realize the price they have to pay. You pray for people in the name of Jesus, but there's a price to pay for you to be this conduit where the Holy Spirit has free access to you and flows through you in a powerful way. How many of you know that? Are you willing to pay the price? In Philippians 3, verse 7 to 8, it says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What gain do you have right now in your life? Is it that fancy degree you've got? Is it those good looks you've got? Is it your popularity at work? 
Is it what family you come from? Is it what stock you're from? But whatever gain I had in the world, what is it? I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In other words, compared to being popular with people, compared to money, compared to worldly riches, knowing Christ surpasses that. It's way above that. That's the mindset of a true disciple. Amen? See, I would rather have wisdom than all sorts of things because wisdom will get you all those things anyway. Amen? What would you rather have? How many of you know that if you go to a businessman who knows how to build businesses, you can take everything from him. What does he do? What does she do? She just bounces back. All these guys, we know the Donald Trumps of this world, they've been bankrupt I think a number of times, haven't they? But what happened? They bounced back. I would rather have wisdom. I would rather have anointing. I would rather have a strong mantle on my life than stuff. You can take everything from me. I'm talking about worldly things. I'll just bounce back because I know the source. Amen? I know the source. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I love this, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. In the Greek, all is all. And I count them as rubbish. Do you count your flat screen that you used to be so proud of? Remember the days whenever people got flat screens, it was a thing? But now everyone has flat screen. I count all things as what? As rubbish. Why do I do that? So that I may gain Christ. Is he already a believer? He's already a believer. So he's not talking about salvation, is he? What does it mean to gain Christ? Let me ask you a question. Have you gained Christ? Just think about it. The degree to which you count things as loss, all things as loss, is the degree to which you gain Christ in your life. You have to make room for Christ. There can't be two masters within you. Amen? This is the journey of discipleship, ladies and gentlemen. True discipleship. Counting things as rubbish. Sometimes my wife will come to me and she'll say, my love, do you want this or this for supper? And I'll say, I'm quite flexible, my precious. And she'll say, oh, thanks for being flexible. I said, I'm not given to food. Are you following me? If I go to your house and there's no food, which I don't think there's anyone here because I know some of you, you've always got lots of stuff. If I go to your house and you give me something I don't like, samp, I know there are a lot of fans of samp here and so on, I will eat it because I'm not given to food. Amen? Some people are too passionate about, oh, this, and all of a sudden there's joy in their heart because of what's presented to them. Their source of joy is food. Amen? Don't be given over to things. 
Some people, oh, this movie, this movie, and they're so excited. But in praise and worship, they're like this. And we're singing about salvation. I'm about to watch this movie. Don't be given over to things. Start calling certain things rubbish that you valued so high. Amen? Those of you who are single, if you're a girl and, if you're a girl and you like guys, call it all rubbish in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. We need to put things in their place, amen? The moment you do that, decision-making is easy. It's not complicated. Amen? People say to me, oh, Paul, you know, you wear, you know, I wear nice suits and that kind of thing, but I'm not given to them. You, you got, was the amen for the nice suits or not being given to them? <laughs> right? The nature, let me just explain something. The nature of my job, what I do, speaking on leadership to uh, leaders, corporate leaders and so on, I have to have lots of suits and so on. There's certain places I go where that's the expectation. Amen? So it's part of my brand. But sometimes you'll see me coming and I'll be wearing jeans and so on. I'm not given to them. And it's very easy for me to give away suits. Amen? Some guys were getting excited. First lose some weight, then I'll give you your, my suit. Sorry, I couldn't resist that one. I couldn't resist that one. <laughs> don't, don't be given to stuff. Amen? He says, I count them as rubbish. That fancy degree that you've just attained, do you count it as rubbish? You know what happens when you don't count that degree as rubbish? You always be like, ah, because I've got this, I must use my degree. I must use it. And then you make career choices based on what you studied. Whereas God was saying, you know what? What you studied was great, but it was to prepare you for this other thing. No, but I have to use my degree. Your degree has become a high place in your life. God is saying, oh, okay, you know what? Quit your job. Look after your kids. They actually need you in this season. Ah, oh, no, I can't. I need to use my degree. You know what happens? When you count certain things as rubbish, God gives you the real life. In order that I may gain Christ. I want to gain Christ. Say to the person next to you, I want to gain Christ. Number four, remember that what's easy for others might not be for you. You see, because other people will come and just say, go for it, go for it, my brother, go for it. And you say, we are not the same person. Our calling is not the same. Our life stage is not the same. Hey, when are you doing your PhD? <laughs> our life stage is not the same. Amen? You have to count the cost. Where are you at in your family situation right now? Can you do your PhD right now? Ah, it's simple. Just go for it. You're clever. You'll be okay. Yes, for some people it worked. For others it's not the same. It's not the right time. Amen? I know Lysias is happy. He's like, I've been there, done that. I'm glad. <laughs> Proverbs 14 verse 15 says, the simple believe anything. Please don't believe anything. 
The simple believe anything. Some translations say the naive. They believe anything. But the prudent give thought to their steps. The naive believe anything. I know my cousin brother told me we must just go for it. So we've applied, yeah, we've applied for that tender. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. Amen? Don't just say yes to any business deal. Because some of those business deals will become a thorn in your flesh. People are at different life stages. Your story doesn't have to be my story. What's easy for you might not be easy for me. Amen? Number five, prioritize your soul's condition. Prioritize the condition of your soul. Because someone will offer you something tomorrow and you might have to say, I'm not going to sell my soul for that. I'll probably be talking about finances, money, to give or not to give. Marks of a kingdom financier next Sunday. Please be there because I want to talk to you about how some people sell their soul for finances. I want to explain to you the spiritual dynamic that happens in terms of the enemy and how certain people get finances and how they literally defile themselves in the process. Value the condition of your soul. If there's a guy who was making a move on you, say to yourself, wait a minute, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to defile it. I don't want to defile it. The Bible talks about sexual sin and says the other sins are external, but when you sin sexually, you're sinning against your own body. That's a deep study to have, what it means to sin against your own body, what it means to defile yourself physically. Amen? I'm talking to some people now this morning, right? Prioritize your soul's condition. Matthew 16 verse 26 says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What's the world? Riches, wealth, all those things. And forfeits his soul. Cost benefit. You gained the money, but what did you lose? And the thing that you lost in the process, people can't see what you lost. Because very often what you lost is a status spiritually. The Bible says we're seated in heavenly places. And I'm not going to go in depth into that. Sometimes you can pray for people and God can show you the state of their heart condition. On the outside they look nice and they look fancy but they forfeited their souls. We're talking about decision making here. We're talking about counting the cost. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Nothing. Your soul is precious. Nothing. What have you given in return for your soul? If you are there watching porn, for example, what are you doing to your soul? Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. And in this context, I believe Jesus is talking about the inward man. I believe he's actually talking about your spirit also. So what are you feeding your spirit? By the way, when I point like this, I'm not pointing at anyone, okay? I'm just pointing. It could have been there. It's random. Some people go up and say, he pointed at me when he said that. <gasps> could he see something? When you do that particular thing in terms of hedonism, what have you forfeited? I see men today forfeiting their spiritual authority in their home because of their lifestyle. Amen? 
Number six, make sure God comes first in your life. Matthew 10 verse 37. Make sure God comes first in your life. Are we all there? Matthew 10 verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. My question to you is what does that look like? What does that actually look like practically? Loving your child more than you love Jesus. It's where you know what's best for your child. But because you want to be popular with them, you're like, oh, okay, it's fine. It's where your behavior doesn't start with heaven's blueprint. It starts with, what is my child demanding? Jesus here is saying, if you don't love me more than your child, you're not worthy of me. Let me ask you a question. The people you love the most, the people you care about the most, the people you're strongly tied to at an emotional level, what are they doing for your devotion to Jesus? Are they helping you in your walk with the Lord Jesus or are they pulling you back? Let's be honest. One of the things I've learned about family, family can be one of the best things for your Christian walk or one of the worst things. Think about it. A lot of people will say, I love Jesus and I pray a lot. And you say to them, where did you learn to pray? My grandmother taught me. Family was really great for devotion to Jesus. Amen. Then other people will say to, to yeah, um, the reason I don't come to church that often now is, he, my husband, you know, his, his concentration span, pastor, it's not that much. And you preach for long. So eh, ah, there's a lot of pressure. You know, on weekends, he prefers going fishing. So we can't come and so on. Your relationship has caused you to go backwards in your devotion to Christ. Ah, no. When I'm there in my closet praying in tongues, he doesn't really like it, so I have to do it very quiet because it makes him feel uncomfortable. Are you hearing where I'm, what I'm saying? Watch out for unhealthy soul ties and approval addiction. I want to be a great Makoti. So when we go to the rural area, I have to do A, B, C, D. I know it's against Christianity, but e, God understands. Hey, so I have to do X, Y, Z. No. You are loving them more than you love Jesus. Simple as that. Let's not beat around the bush. Amen. You're loving them more than Jesus. Ah, no, I don't want them to think I'm too radical. It will put them off the gospel. So I will just flow with them, pastor. You're not willing to be persecuted. Be clear about the preeminence of Christ's lordship in your life. I want to ask you this question. How have your relationships with mother or father, son or daughter, affected your devotion to Christ practically and emotionally? And then finally, number seven, overcome the power of mammon in your life. Overcome the power of mammon in your life. In Luke 14, verse 33, it says, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Is that saying go and sell everything you have? No, it's not. But it's saying be willing to. Now, is Jesus going to ask you to do that? Maybe. Who knows? But he wants to know, does the stuff have you or do you have the things? Amen. In Matthew 8, verse 18 to 22, 
Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Isn't Jesus amazing? For some of you, the moment the crowd is around you, it's like, guys, where is the cameraman? Let them take photos. Let the world know the crowd was around. It says here, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Some of you have done that. You've received Christ. You've come up to the front. I will follow Jesus. But this was Jesus' response. Teacher, they, they say, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Put me first. Amen. Let's pray.